What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the 3C Podcast. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. It's Friday, and you know what that means. A conversation with a content marketer who has a point of view that matters, a point of view that I appreciate, a point of view that is going to give me something that I can learn from and certainly something you can learn from. I am excited to bring on Dominic Kent on the show today for a conversation around content marketing and the space we operate in. He wrote an article called The State of B2B Content Marketing 2021. I read it. It stopped me in my tracks. I shared it with my team, and I am so thrilled to bring Dominic on the show to chop up the article and share his point of view and perspective. If you like what you've been hearing on the show, hit the subscribe button. Follow us at the Juice HQ. Definitely go to the show notes, hit our wait list. You'll get our newsletter every week. Without further ado, let's kick it to the conversation. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the 3C Podcast. I am excited for this conversation and their conversations with people that I've been meeting on the internet. I feel like this networking online being six backs and six years back into the marketing spaces, how you meet really great and smart marketers. So I'm joined here by Dominic Kent. Dominic, how are you today? Oh, great. Thanks, Brett. Thanks for inviting me on. A little bit of pressure already because you've said I'm a straight and smart marketer. So I'll try and live up to that tag. You are. And I can, I can confirm. I read your stuff. So I appreciate your point of view and your perspective. And one of the reasons why I had you on uh, the show today. So I think before we jump into it, you wrote an article called The State of B2B Marketing Content in 2021 that got my attention and was kind of my, it was the introductory into you and your work. So I want to spend a lot of time talking about that. But first, maybe we can talk about just um, you work and you support a company, Mio, and help with their content and communication strategy, but you also spend time freelancing and with clients. So I just, I'd love to get your perspective on just like freelancing just and how you kind of moved into that space. So many content marketers I'm talking with on a regular basis are working, you know, as a content specialist in, in a role, but also have some bandwidth and desire to create content for other companies. So maybe talk to me about how that process went for you. I think it probably started how content marketers now, if they love their job, they like doing content marketing all day, every day, but want to do a bit more to either earn some more money or get exposure to another industry. I, I was in that same bracket before I was into marketing. I was in the product world. So I was either going out with the sales guys and doing demos, or I was producing the uh, producing an RFP or running consultancy gigs, whatever it might have been. But at the same time, I was always just doing a little bit of blogging for an industry publication. And while it was just guest posts so that everyone could build up their SEO for different companies, I didn't know anything about that at the time. I was just writing because I liked writing. Eventually, the, the guest publications I was posting on asked me to go and write for them as a kind of a side gig. So that, that took off. I was doing just a couple of posts a month in my spare time. It was it was a hobby that I was getting paid £100 an article for. It was great, right? I, at the weekends, if it was raining, what else was I going to do? So this seemed like a win-win. I started to do more regular work for, for them, and I was writing about the topics that were obviously in my industry. Mio came looking for someone to start their blog, and it was obviously what we were writing about at that particular publication. Started there doing some more side work, um, which 
began to kind of fill up my evenings if I was away seeing a, a customer for two or three days in a hotel that actually filled up my time quite nicely rather than just going to the bar and watching the, the football or the soccer I would get paid while I was doing that right so this became a quite a lucrative way to just go and see clients build them for my time and then get billed in the evening for doing a little bit of what I still at that point kind of had as a hobby until it became too much and I had more freelance clients than I had full-time work so I, I kind of quit that went full-time freelance which was great until Mia asked me to go full-time with them that carried on for a year 18 months and now I'm freelance again and now that that process has happened I can see exactly why full-time content marketers do go into freelancing on the side either the weekend the evenings or whatever because I think it's helped me grow as a marketer and as a just as a person really going through that process of doing some freelance work going full-time going back to freelancing i i i'm better at my full-time job i'm also better as a freelancer because i've seen all sides of that now so the the attraction for me is still there if i go back to full-time work i'd still want to do some work as a freelancer and likewise while i'm now freelance again i can see that if 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 anyone within any full-time businesses are full-on content marketing all day, even in agencies. Just having an outlet to do something else is is super good for them. Yeah, and I, I I will echo what you're saying there. It's just the opportunity to continue to sharpen your skills, refine your work, and just get better at what you're doing in the freelance space. So I think that's super interesting. I'm curious on that. Are you obviously the work that you're doing is marketing. So you're constantly, you know, marketing, not only, you know, your clients work, but you're marketing yourself. I think you do a pretty good job of that just through the different channels that I've seen you promote your work through. Are you getting new customer? Are you acquiring new customers by you going out and proactively seeking those out? Or are they coming to you saying, Hey, Dominic, I see your stuff. We have a need within our organization. Like, do you have some hours to contribute to our content? Good question. I think I'm I'm either lucky or I've been very good at making it happen. And I'll let anyone else decide that. I've I've never had to touch wood, go out and find a customer. They've always come to me. So Mio approached me that way. When I took on Mio as my second freelance client, a third and a fourth just naturally happened. And then my my month was full, right? And it's kind of it's all tumbled from there. I think the process of me sharing what I'm doing, either a blog post or a podcast that I've been commissioned to produce for whatever client it is. The, the sheer process of promoting that and it being really good has always kind of, there's never been a period where I've not been promoting something that I'm proud of so that people can read that. And if they're not my client, then that's great because they know that they can come to, to, to me either as a person to do the writing or to package it all up or even if I can just point them in the right direction like I've got no graphic design skills but everything I do comes with a really neat graphic so I can either push you in the right way of that graphic designer or that tool or whatever it might be because everything that I've produced doesn't go live until I'm thoroughly happy with it right and I think that that's always worked to my advantage having a little network of other people that can just contribute as well and make whatever I put out there the, the best version of whatever it can be and I think doing work for myself on top of that has probably opened the door to people outside of my niche. So I, I define my niche as B2B communications technology. And if I was to tell you what it actually is, nobody would have heard of it, right? Because it's, it's that niche. So kind of to widen it into 
I guess, just generic SaaS content marketing, me writing my own stuff or producing my own podcast has, has really helped me that way as well. I now get customers come to me from outside of my niche. I love that. Um, I would say your work is excellent. I, I have shared your work in our own internal groups, just because it's your your point of view on content marketing and what we're working on is a, our point of view on content marketing. We a lot of how you're talking about it helps validate what, how we want to be talking about it. So I think it's made for easy sharing in the channels that I I work in internally and externally. Um, and I think that was the kind of how I stumbled. I mean, I keep bringing this up on the show, but it's the super path group. Like I'm meeting everybody in this group and, you know, you posted your um, piece on content marketing, the state of B2B, the state of B2B marketing content in 2021. And honestly, like I saw your image and I saw your name and I saw you post it and I was like, man, like another one of these, but like, I'm going to click it and I'm going to just check it out. So I clicked it. And then what got my attention was your opening paragraph. I'm going to read it because I want to ask you like, like what was going through your head when you put these words down and decided. I'm, I'm to about to lose a bunch of friends, aren't I here? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what we're here for. We're here. We're, we're here to ruffle some feathers. Uh, but you, you put if, uh you put if you look at Content Marketing Institute's B2B content marketing research study for from 2020, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you won't learn anything. And I read that and I just like, I put my hands in the air and just said like, yes, like I'm sucked into this article right now because this guy is speaking my language and not necessarily because I think like CMI holds or provides no value. I don't think that. I do think, though, that there is a new way in, to share information, a new way to talk about content marketing that doesn't need to just be coming from one platform. So that, that was my the experience I went through when I first consumed your article, and I read the rest of it, and we'll talk about it. It's really good. But I want to I understand, as you were authoring that, like, maybe why did you decide to put this piece together? And then those opening remarks, like, where, where was that coming from? So it's the whole piece started as just a Christmas project, right? I decided that I wanted to have Christmas off. As a freelancer, it's, it's hard and it's scary not to do any work for two weeks, right? So kind of, I tweeted something the other day, which was along the lines of 75% of freelancing is about making sure you can have Christmas off, right? And, and it is, right? You're not getting paid by anyone else. So you need to have accumulated enough income throughout the year. I, however, wanted to kind of challenge myself and not work every day over Christmas, but do something that kind of just kept my brain engaged, didn't want to burn out. Also, pandemic, lockdown, not really allowed to go anywhere anyway, so I, I was sure I'd have some free time, and there's only a certain amount of Christmas films that you can watch. So I, I decided that I'd start this Christmas project. I wanted to use Medium to try and earn some money through one of the publications on there. I, I have a Medium account. I've I use it for affiliate marketing really i use the power of mediums seo to run my affiliate marketing sidekick right that's that's all i really use it for what i wanted to do is actually use medium for why people use medium so to earn money through their stories to organic medium readers pitched it to a couple of publications they all said yes we'll look at it when when it's ready when it was ready i realized that it wasn't anywhere near as good as i wanted it to be 
because I was following their guidelines, right? So at that point, I decided I've already put three weeks worth of effort into this. It's now January. Scrap trying to do that. I'm just going to put out the, the best version of whatever I can produce. Along that line, to answer your, your second question, why I opened with that, I was doing some research into other publications or, or people that have produced a state of content marketing report. The first one on Google was CMIs, naturally. So I, I've read it and I've, I've looked at all of their stats and their graphs and things like that, and it looks great and everything's accurate, but I didn't learn anything. I literally didn't learn anything. Like who's reading, who's reading that report? A content marketer. It's, it's probably not the CEO of a company trying to hire a marketer. So understanding their audience and my audience for this particular piece, I wanted, I wanted to inform, yes, but I also wanted to educate and I wanted to show something a little bit new. I wanted it to be a bit more human than just stats from a survey. And as I started filling in the blanks of my brief that I'd written for myself, I, it just kind of happened naturally that that's exactly what I was doing. I was comparing it to something that already existed, but I wanted to make sure that you could learn something rather than just read some stats off the page. Yeah. And I think, I, I don't know, I'm a big fan of like, you know, you've only got so much time when you're consuming information that you need some sort of hook right out of the gates to get you engaged or people just move on to the next one. So I thought the honesty with that statement resonated with me and I'm sure it resonated with a, a lot of other content marketers. Now I know you have been promoting this piece through your channels. I even saw today on LinkedIn, you might mugshot bot, you might've put something together there uh, with the, uh, the, the piece in the background, which was funny. I, I'm curious, what sort of reaction have you gotten from the you know content consumers and people that are, you know, consuming this piece through social, you know, or other channels, like what, what feedback have you gotten from, from consumers so far? I was, ex first of all, right, I was excited to get some feedback because I'd never written anything like this before, right? I love writing long form content, in-depth researched, like 7,000 words. That's absolutely me, right? That's what I want to do. I don't want to write hundreds of 500 word blog posts that nobody sees. I want to create one really good piece of content, put it out there and then get feedback. Because if people don't like it, I can update it. And if people are saying negative things about it, they immediately become sources that I can quote and improve my own work. Fortunately, I didn't get anything like that. Um, everyone seems to have, like you said, loved the honesty. The contributors I got to help out as well, all for free, all in their own time over the Christmas period, made it a lot better than it, than it would have ever been. And sharing it through their networks as well, obviously, was a strategy, yes. But I think it's massively helped that it's it's not just me being a semi-credible source with a few people that might know what I do. It's also got content marketing leaders from not huge agencies, but real-life marketers. And I think my, my target audience, for my piece anyway, was real content marketers, right, that are actually doing the work, not, not people that are pay thousands of dollars at trade shows to go and say, this is what marketing is. It's actually, no, these are the people writing the words and changing the tags and WordPress, right? This, this, is, what, this is what I want to be writing for. This is who I want to be writing for. And I, I want feedback from them. And it's gone down really well with everybody like that. The, the flip side is when I was in the pitching process to these publications on Medium, trying to convince them that actually their guidelines were withholding it being the best version of what it could be. And they're all sort of set in their ways that, no, we can't make any exceptions. This is how we'd like it to be. 
at which point they lost my interest and sure I didn't get paid for doing it, but I'd rather not get paid and produce something really, really good. I love it. Standing true to your uh, values. I got to ask you something you said there because you use contributors. And I think that's obviously always can be a a very effective strategy. I, I know I'm working on a piece that you were one of the first contributors of in, in, in the process of trying to explain this campaign and what I'm trying to do, I'm meeting with my CEO tomorrow to talk about it and how I want to execute on it. And as I was thinking through this, I decided, you know, this is like, there's a lot that goes into like the structure and organization of a piece that involves several different people and how you're going to distribute it. So I said to myself, well, I'm just going to like create a, an article about the process that I'm going through in order to engage stakeholders, sell this internally as something we should be doing and talk about the execution process. So that's something like today I'm working on. I'm curious from your perspective, do you have any this is mostly I'd love to know. I'm sure there's other people out there, but do you have any good feedback in terms of like working with other gr- a group of content marketers collectively on a piece, like how you get contributors involved? Like what are the types of things you do? Is it relationship driven? Are there people you don't know who you get involved? I'd love to hear you talk about that. I think there's, there's two questions there, right? First one is with other content marketers who might be able to contribute to your content. I think you've got two types of people you should approach. first one is a warm connection, right? Someone you know that is an SME in the area. If it's about content marketing and you are a content marketer, you've probably got these contacts already lined up and you, you know what they're going to say is going to be good. It's just a matter of, do they have enough time to, to write something, right? You have to appreciate they've got a job to do as well. The second group then is, I guess, people that you're cold pitching, probably the uh, the people with the bigger reputation work at these large agencies or CMOs of, of huge companies, whatever, that add credibility just by having their name or their brand in your work. Those are the ones where you've got to work on your pitch for longer than you'd like, should we say. So I guess it's like composing a, a cold email for a marketing campaign. It, it needs to be it needs to be to the point. You need to have every single detail that you need in there. I would like this. This is the topic. Could you please talk about and put a deadline on it, right? If you don't put a deadline on it, you won't get it back. Unless you're already a warm connection, in which case, treat these people as friends because they are your friends just because you haven't met them. Doesn't mean they're not your, your marketing friends, if you like. Those are the two groups, right? And I think you treat them treat them differently. One is maybe a, a cold email. One is through LinkedIn or a Slack community, like you mentioned, Superpath community is great for doing that. In the UK, I'm part of a Content Club UK group as well, which is really good for freelance copywriters if i need anything in that kind of realm i go there straight away obviously that's in my time zone as well so that's that's more beneficial for me and i guess there's a third group of people which was your second question which is people outside of your 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 niche industry or your content marketers and i was uh, having a back and forth conversation with josh spilka who's another content marketer yesterday on linkedin uh, but he was talking about getting quotes from people who've done academic studies. And I referenced how hard it was, how time consuming it was to get quotes from doctors who have produced genuine like medical studies. If I've referenced their piece, I'd love for them to say, here's why it was only 60% of whatever study they've done. But in reality, they're paid to one, be a doctor and two, publish that work in the journal. They're not paid to do the promo activity. That's not part of their job, right? So that is 
becomes very, very hard. And I quoted to Josh that my strike rate was about 25%. In reality, I'd said the first part of my sentence was 50% this, 25% of that. In reality, I should have broke down my 25% and said, no one really replies to those. <laughs> so my 25% was a bit of an exaggeration. But it, it's very hard outside of your industry. So you need to be, you need to one, make sure you're representing your brand in a credible way. And, and two, be very specific in that cold email that you're asking that person with deadline topic, what the quote might be, even if you have to write the quote for them and just get their approval. That's that's much quicker than them spending half an hour writing 200 words for you. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think part of probably what makes that process easier for you on this piece, I would assume, is having that that brand and having that consistency in your work that if people don't know you, they can go look at what you've published and it can help validate, okay, yeah, this is along the same lines of the types of things I talk about or, or work on and he does good work. So I'm inclined to jump in and do do that. As a person who's do, doing it now at a company that doesn't exist yet in stealth mode, I find that creating consistent content, having something to point people to along with having a something like a podcast, even like people hear podcasts and like, oh yeah, I'm interested in being involved because I think people just find it. It's an easy opportunity to jump on and share their point of view and perspective. So always looking for good feedback and tips there. And I'm sure people listening in are as well. Something inspiring that you've been working on is you took to Twitter and you you talked about Content 365 where you want to create and write content every day. And I thought, man, like this is inspiring and interesting because I'm working on a company right now that hasn't launched. We are trying to build and develop an audience. I'm trying to earn trust, trying to share our point of view. And as I jumped in here, it was like, I need to just sharpen my skills and write every day. And so to see someone out there that it ha- has this pursuit that w- wants to go out and write every day and talk about it publicly has been fun to follow. So maybe talk to me about just the inspiration between hashtag content 365 and how that's gone for you so far. So the inspiration was completely ripped from Christina Pascialis, who runs uh, a content community in the UK. She was doing 30 days of content throughout the whole of January. I think she started a couple of days into January and she was again, kind of tracking herself in public, a little bit like the, the building in public kind of community where if you've got a product, you're building it from scratch. If you're a bootstrap startup, whatever you might be, you build in public these days, right? Uh, and, and I think that that wins over an immediate audience, the fact that everything is public. And I loved that element of what she was doing. And every other day you'd see a big red cross and she'd say, oh no, I forgot, or I didn't get around to doing it because I've been so busy with something else. And we have different roles we have different day jobs we have different ways of working and I thought well I just love writing like when I was when I was at school I wanted to be a soccer journalist right just because I loved writing when I was at college I then wanted to be maybe an author or or some kind of writer kind of I'd grown up I didn't just want to talk about soccer I knew that I this is what I wanted to do about seven or eight years passed and I'd got a job in those seven or eight years and I hadn't done any writing. And I think over the last maybe five years, I've, I've been writing almost every day anyway, but with no accountability, no reason to do so other than a little bit of client work or, or maybe just 
trying to start writing books. I've yet to write a book. I failed so many times. I thought this was just the perfect outlet to one, write every day, two, publicize any challenges along the way, because I'm sure there will be on day 15 at the minute. I haven't had any challenges yet. I'm, I am writing during my time off. I don't want to burn out. I assume at day 30 that will happen. I'll just be fed up, but we'll see when we get there. I also thought that it would help me build more clients, right? If I do, if I do even 250 words at the weekend, that's more than none, right? So that's like an, a, qu a quarter of a day or an eighth of a day with research or whatever it might be. And over the course of a year, that would all add up. And actually, maybe I could take that time off on holiday, uh, uh, that holiday off at Christmas that I mentioned earlier, right? So it could all hopefully attribute to that. And I think on day 15, it's going fine. But like I said, let's do another podcast on day 315, where I'm gray and I hate my life. <laughs> Uh, yes, I, I love I love the honesty with that too. And it's also I got to tell you, like every time you update on Twitter, like the new day or whatever, you show up in my feed. So whoever's following you, like, is kind of along the journey with you. So that's I think a fun element of it too. Um, I'd I'd love to know you're spending every day writing. That's your that's your job. That's what you're doing, and you've got probably you're passionate about it. It probably gives you some sense of satisfaction completing pieces. And I, I feel that way just in my day-to-day -day and doing more writing than I have in the last five or six years. And I think within the content marketing community, there is the sentiment of purity and people who are writers at heart who happen to work at a software company because the software company is going to pay them for being good writers. However, they fall into these traps of, companies wanting them to position articles a certain way or optimize over index for keywords because that's what Google likes. And so there's this friction I'm uncovering with a lot of content marketers where they are at heart are writers and there's this purity around writing. And then on the other side of this, they work at these companies who are looking at their work as ways to kind of play into the Google madness and sharing information that not necessarily helps people first and foremost, but helps algorithms show in their work show up above everything else. I, I'd love to get just like maybe what your point of view is just on kind of from a current state of content marketing and marketers like that dynamic that currently exists. I think there's, there's three things to unpack there, right? That, there is a balance between writing for Google and writing for your audience and making it as best as it can be. And I think I wrote that in my state of content marketing report, right? If you can check both of those off, then it, it's on its way to being the best it can be. And it doesn't have to be full of keywords and it doesn't have to be over-optimized. And I've written so many things that I've not used my Yoast plugin or whatever it might be. I've just gone, you know what, let's just publish it now. We can optimize it later, see what happens. Within 10 minutes, it was top of Google for my, my top keyword, right? Sometimes Google does get it right. It rewards the best content. Other times it doesn't, right? I, I wrote a piece on, it was actually a, a bingo card, right? It was a team collaboration bingo. So all the different things you could say like, oh, is Dave on Slack or does he use Microsoft Teams? And it was a bingo card of those. And I thought that's such a great idea that, 
my old boss came up with. And I was like, how, how do we get people to see this? Okay, I'll write a 2000 word blog post with all the different phrases and things like that and super optimized it so that it stood a chance of being there. I think only about 20 people have seen that and it's been live for nearly six months. In reality, we should have stripped it of all the kind of SEO focus, just shared it on social media, done a little bit of a paid campaign and shared it to everyone we know that uses those tools, right? Mm-hmm. So even though I did everything that you're supposed to do as an SEO content writer, no one's seen it. So sometimes it does suck, right? So that was an example of me writing for SEO and not for my audience. But all I had really was a bingo card. So I had to do something there. In hindsight, that was wrong. When I was working with another client last year, I won't name them because they're very big and they might sue me because they've got a lot of money. The, the way that they gave me briefs to write was they would send me a list of 40, 50 keywords, the suggested density, and I would write a 3,000 3000 word document taking all of their keywords from the excel sheet they would send me and hope for the best they had a some kind of i don't know if it, some kind of software right that would then rank it it would say this is 93% out of 100 obviously 93% chance of ranking on the first page of google which if it works is great but i would send it it would go off to the seo team who would say you need to add seven more of these four more of these fine, okay, I'll I'll add some things in, I'll do it that way. It would then go to an editor who would then delete all of those words because I was overusing them. And they come back to me to sort the whole mess out and then send it off and go back to the SEO team who put them back in. That was their strategy and it does work for the majority of things for them because they're more informational pages. They don't need to have that human element. They're question and answer kind of things. That works for that kind of... if, if you. If the question is, what does X, Y, Z do? And it doesn't need a human response, that's fine. But the majority of the content I think anyone is producing needs to be human because humans are reading it at the end of the day. I think a lot of people get stuck on SEO, like you said, keywords, all sorts of things like that. But also, this is completely unrelated to what you asked. People get stuck on tone of voice, I think, a lot. People spend months perfecting their tone of voice and then hire a freelancer who doesn't write that way. I think as long as you're human and you're talking to your audience, if, if that's what you're supposed to be doing, right? And as, as marketers, we probably are. We're not writing essays. We're not writing anything else. We're writing blog posts. We're writing eBooks, newsletters. As long as you're talking to your audience and being honest and behaving like they are and using the language they use, tone of voice, I don't think we need to worry about so much either. Yeah, I, I, I've heard you mention this so many times and it's like, I don't want to gloss over it because I do think it's important and I think it, it matters is that you've said so many times writing for your audience, for your audience. And so I think just like the process that you're going through, whether, you know, whatever client you're working for or if it's your own work itself, understanding the people that are reading it on the other side first and foremost before just writing stuff that is going to fall flat. I think I've heard you say that a bunch and I just wanted to call that out because I believe, you know, that's critical in the content marketing space. And then the other piece you said that I'd love to talk about is just, it involved distribution and it was, you know, you, you wrote this piece and maybe 20 people have seen it. And you said, what we should have done is just maybe gone hand to hand and just reached out to everyone individually and more people would see it too. So I'd love to get your your 
opinion and perspective on just like when you have a new piece, how are you thinking about the different distribution channels to maximize its exposure to the right people? Yeah. So this is something that I've only got into recently, right? And people like Ross Simmons at Foundation have been preaching this for years, but I, I only I only met Ross and spoke to Ross for the first time last year. I'd seen his face all over LinkedIn because he was such a big presence in the content marketing space beforehand. But I content promotion, if you get into content promotion at all, because last year Google took all of our blog pages down uh, at Mio, uh, which was very daunting. For a, few, for a few days, I thought, well, that's it. My job's over. I've done something really wrong. I've just lost a client here. And the business has got no inbound marketing. Turns out that out of all of the pages on Google, we were, I think it was 0.02%, one of 0.02% of pages that were just removed from Google's index completely. That sounds like not a lot, but I think that's roughly 2 billion still because there's so much content on Google. So a lot of people were affected by this, right? And I'm, I follow the Google search liaison on Twitter and they were saying that, okay, yeah, big problem, our fault. You can't do anything, so sit tight, which is not really what you want to hear as a marketer who's used to all this traffic and conversions coming in. And you like doing the Monday report because it's growing every week, right? I then said, well, actually, no one viewed our blog last week. Uh, I'll get back to you on that. Um, so that was, the, that was the kicker for me to find other ways for people to come and view our blog because we were at the time, probably I finger in the air, 97% of our traffic was from Google organic search, which had just disappeared overnight, literally. So we share on Twitter and LinkedIn anyway, copy and paste that on Facebook where we've got like a massive 90 followers or something like that, of which two have only used Facebook in their lifetime. So that's that was no good. So I started looking at other ways to promote content other than what we were already doing. And as I went along, I documented them all, put that in a big blog post, to which someone paid me for actually, which was quite nice rather than just making my own content. And then the, the most valuable part of that blog post, my content promotion strategy piece was the tracker at the end. So I've now got every single blog post for, for Mio, which is about 100. And I replicate that across all my other clients as well. And if I'm not running it, I'll give that to the internal marketing person and that becomes their job to fill it in once we've built it. And across the top is every single place we're going to share it or every single place we're going to try and get a link from or whatever it might be. The process of having that tracker really helps. You just move things on. It becomes your tick list and you become autonomous. You, once you hit publish, you then republish it on Medium. You put it on Twitter. You send a Slack message to everyone in your business or whoever relevant and say, can you post this on your personal Twitter? You do the same for LinkedIn, Facebook, and all of a sudden that's 10 platforms and that was only an hour's worth of your time. And once you keep replicating that on all the other places like Reddit and Quora and anything niche to your industry, it's not actually that long to promote your content once you've already got the piece and you know where to promote it. The, the process of putting those, there was 40 in my example, the process of getting those 40 together and finding them took a long time. But once you've got them, established them and are tracking them, promotion becomes much easier to do the promoting. You've then got to obviously test and find out are people actually going to read where you promote them? And once they've read, are they the right readers? Are they ever going to buy your product or are they just finding your content interesting? Yeah, I think so much of what I heard there is just having the organization around the process. And once you do that, you can start creating some consistencies with your the your output after you hit publish on everything. I think that you've got me thinking about just 
in our early days, how I can get more organized around the work that we're putting out there. Um, that's awesome. Maybe we close out with this one. I'd love, love to get your point of view on B2B marketers and how they can improve, I'll say shitty content consumption experience for audience members. Um, you've went through this whole state of B2B marketing, thinking about it, working with other people. I think it's undeniable that their B2B marketers are restrained right now because of old ways of marketing that maybe their bosses are forcing them to, to implement, whether that be forms, whether that be overthinking, over-indexing for SEO. I'd love to get your point of view and perspective on just ways that you are thinking about it and just recommendations that, you know, content marketers out there can be thinking about just creating better content experiences for the people that are reading their stuff. I'm so glad you said it's because their bosses told them how to do it. It's the old way to do it. I was, I couldn't work out the other day, little, little story time. Um, huge company in my niche, right? Huge company. You, you will know them if I say them, they're that big, right? I was just flicking through their Twitter. It's not not a Twitter I uh, follow, as in literally follow, but it's someone that pops up because they're enormous. They've got 300,000 followers or whatever. So it just happens to be on my feed at the time anyway. I looked back at their last 15, 20 tweets. I was like, who is writing these tweets? (laughs) And who do they think they're writing to? It was quite incredible. And so I went out, found their social media manager. um, (laughs) And these tweets, somebody is kind of, coaching her, mentoring her in just the most ridiculous way that's not driving any engagement. They've got 300,000 followers and not one person has liked this tweet. While I appreciate that's a vanity metric, you'd like some kind of validation that your audience resonates with what you're typing. So that astounded me. So you've answered my question there as to how on earth that was happening. Uh, And I think that that needs to stop happening, right? So there needs to be, you need to speak how your audience speak. You need to talk to them in a social media post, in a podcast, in your blog post, whatever it is, you need to talk to them, not at them. Stop telling them about your product, start solving their problems, start using words like you instead of they, or the the biggest one is users, isn't it? Everybody in Mm. SaaS seems to talk about, this is what the user does. Don't, Don't say this is what the user does. Tell me the steps to solve my problem. Click behavior, site content, not the user will have to navigate to the site content button within the whatever report section. Just tell me, right? And I think when you start using that language and talking to your customers in your content, it naturally becomes, maybe not naturally, but you should train yourself to lay out your content that way as well. In my guest post guidelines for anyone that I run a guest post program for, I stipulate that they should never, ever be more than two sentences in a paragraph. And that's just because that's how people read, right? Like no one wants to read broadsheet newspaper on a computer. Like I, I love reading books, real books. I, I have a Kindle, but I love reading books. But if I'm on my laptop, I don't want to read just block text because I, I don't even have a mouse, right? So I'm going to scan through this on my touchscreen laptop and I want it to be sentence by sentence so that I can read it or scan it and then highlight it, copy and paste it, and I don't get all the extra things in there. And I think once you're writing for your audience, I've said it again, um, once you're writing for your audience, 
you realize that they read differently to how you're taught to write. I, I did a journalism course maybe 10 years ago. And uh, looking back on it, I don't think I learned anything. I was taught how to be a journalist, but I didn't learn anything. And everything that I learned there, I've now unlearned as I've become a blog reader and writer. And that, that extends to not just sectioning out bits of your blog. So sentence, sentence, picture, sentence, sentence, quote, sentence, video, etc. But things like don't litter it with pop-ups. I, I know conversion is the aim of the game here, but I saw a competitor of ours have three pop-ups behind each other. So you close the first one, there was another one. You close the second one, there was a the third one. I don't know if that was by design, but it was quite funny to, uh, to share with everybody. So don't litter with pop-ups. If they're going to buy a product, use that pop-up in the right place, right? Pop-ups do have a purpose. The same, I think, can be said with email gates. Stop email gating everything. We've, we've only, by we, I, I mean Mio, we've only email gated one piece of content. And that's because it was genuine, independent research that you would pay a consultancy for. And I think that's the only time you should email gate anything. It's when it's of real value. So you're just doing that transaction. I think once you've once you've grasped that notion, right, that people want to enjoy the experience of your content, you'll start to become a better content marketer. So much good stuff in there. I, I your quote, I just I want to celebrate is uh, talking with them and not at them. That is something that it you tugged at my heartstrings. I hold that near and dear to my heart. And if just more companies were just thinking like that and taking that basic fundamental and executing on it, I think the, their brand equity would increase just overnight. So this is just, uh, this is unreal. I'm going to listen back to this and I'm sure I'll take a lot of notes on just some stuff you said before I let you get out of here. Let me know. I'll put all your links in the show notes, but what are, uh, where are some places that uh, people can find you and check out your work? So I'm on Twitter at Dom Kent. I tweet a lot. I try to cover the UK and the US. So I, I split my tweets through, uh, throughout the day. I'm on LinkedIn, Dominic Kent. I've read a little piece about the worst connections I've ever got on LinkedIn as well, which is the, the, the top post on Google. Um, that's a good example, actually, of... Um, not writing for SEO, but it being rewarded by Google or the West Connection. So if you do send me a connection, please do, but don't make it a terrible one. Otherwise, you'll end up in that post. Why, why don't more people just add the note and write a sentence? It just is one sentence to say, this is why I want to follow you or like something. Like there's so, that's an opportunity and people just don't take it. If you do add me on LinkedIn, say Brett sent you. That'd be great. <laughs> I will accept you immediately. Oh, that's awesome. Go check out his stuff. Uh, Dominic, this was so much fun uh, chatting with you. Can't wait to share this. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I've been having so much fun learning from Dominic. I'm such an insightful content marketer, and I just love the perspective he brings to his work and he shares with the market. Go follow him. Go do that. He's someone I learned from, very active on Twitter every day. Go follow him at Dom Kent. If you like what you've been hearing, hit that subscribe button. Leave us a review. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. I'll talk to you next week. Have a good weekend.